Welcome to the dark forest. Jack and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hi, it's Jackie Cation, and this episode of the Dark Forest didn't have an intro because we just got right into it. It's with Lois McMaster Bujold in Minneapolis at Convergence. So I'm doing the credits this way, back at home. Patrick Brady will fix this audio, hopefully melding these two pieces of audio into something seamless or lovely. And Vilmos fixes the the website, of course. And uh, Mike Rickberg just sang at the beginning, and we'll sing again at the end. This one goes a little short, only because uh, Lois McMaster Bujold, I think, had another meeting afterwards. So... I was really psyched that she could spend 50 minutes with me. So I hope you enjoy it. Oh, of course, the merch and the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com. You can get T-shirts. There's Ranger of the Dork Forest T-shirts and magnets. The magnets are trinkets that come with every order. Or you can just get a magnet if you want for two or three bucks. Three bucks if you're from out of the country, out of the U.S. And then there's the new uh, the Dork Forest t-shirts that Brett Chambers designed, and they're pretty awesome. Anyway, uh, that's all available on the website. Then there's a donation button, so if you want to use that, that would be awesome as well. And I've used the word awesome several times. Let's jump right into it. Hi, it's Jackie Cation with Lois McMaster Bouchol. Hi. Welcome. Hi, Jackie. Yes, I'm very excited. Um, we're here in Minneapolis at Convergence. My first science fiction convention. Uh-huh. Mine so many that I have lost count. <laughs> Do what, you, you were telling me in the elevator up through the 5,000 people that feel like they're already here that you've been going since 1968? Yes. That was my first encounter with the uh, organized science fiction fandom. I'd been reading science fiction since I was nine years old because my dad read it. And there would be, you know, he would bring home, he would buy, you know, uh, magazines and books to read on the plane when he went on consulting trips because okay. he's a professor of engineering nice. at Ohio State, which is how I came to be born in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, well done. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, you, at the way you do, you know, I read this stuff and right. got onto it. And, you know, I found it in my school library and in the three public libraries that I could get access to. What did you read when you were a kid? Oh, gosh, uh, it would have been the stuff that was around uh, in the very late 50s, early 60s. Okay. Mid sixties, so you would have a Eric Frank Russell was one of the first writers I imprinted on uh, because okay. it was funny. You know. Oh, okay. Uh, it was the humor that got me, you know, that, yeah. and uh, other Excellent. other writers at the time, Heinlein, Clark, and Asimov were of course big and new back in that day. Oh, right. Uh, later on in the mid sixties, I got a subscription to Analog Magazine back when it was still edited by John W. Campbell Jr. Wow. And it cost four dollars a year. I still have one of the check stubs that my dad wrote <laughs> yeah. for my my present. Uh, oh. And so I read uh, read everything that was you know extant then lots of uh, lots of Paul Anderson um, oh gosh uh, all, and the, it just all went, the writers yeah and it just went like uh, that Dune when it was serialized in analog you know, oh wow the, was it the first the dragon story yeah Frank Herbert's first yeah. Dune story was serialized in analog in five parts oh uh, I did not back in the mid sixties before. Yeah. It, came out as a book. Oh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, so then there was a convention, was there a convention in Columbus? Uh, yeah, what happened was I had graduated from high school and I was working uh, downtown in a department store, in the bookstore, and one of the fellows from the local science fiction club came in and we struck up a conversation in front of the, you know, three foot wide bin of science <laughs> fiction uh, in the bookstore and he invited me to the, uh, the 
Central Ohio Science Fiction Society's club meeting, sure. which turned out to be in Ron Miller's parents' basement. <laughs> 22 guys in the Ron Miller? Miller is now a very well-known science fiction artist. He was an art student back then. Oh, cool. Um, and he's uh, done work for the Air and Space Museum and for NASA and uh, lots and lots of illustration work. So all of my he's listeners... Had, he's had work in Scientific American. Yeah. Oh, so he's so amazing. He's and, amazing. Uh, and yeah. what I will do is I and will find him. And he's a newbie then. And, and so I will link we. him okay. uh, in the notes. <laughs> yes, yes, so. he has a website. Yeah. So. Oh, wait. Before we continue, allow me to say things like uh, Lois McMaster Bujold, by the way, uh, writes the Vorkos- Vorkoskin series that I have read a thousand times like a toddler watching Aladdin because uh, they're very comforting. By the way, because they always, uh, I always know how they were going to work out. And, uh, <laughs> Step to the first time through. Yeah, exactly. But, and then I always find new stuff because I tend to skim, and then I reread. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look what else they said, mm-hmm. and uh, look at that. That's an excellent way to live your life. Okay, so um, and then I've been reading a lot of the fantasy, the Sharing oh, Knife, good. and the Chelion series, and mm-hmm. uh, and however things are pronounced, I'm saying them that way. Good. Okay. Uh, so, Lois McMaster Bujold, I've talked about her before. Rangers of the Dork Forest, you're familiar with her work. Uh, just gonna get back to her now. Okay, there we go. Uh, so, 1968. Oh, uh, let's see. So, yeah, <laughs> got onto my biography somewhere. Right, right. Very briefly. The writing starts actually later. Well, right. actually, the writing started in eighth grade because that's when I started writing Imitation My Favorite Stuff, which is what you do when you're in junior high. Oh, it is. Trying to be a writer. Yeah. Um, and what I was found, your. found well, a friend and we wrote for each other. Okay. Uh, Stuart Carl, who's now also a published novelist. But, oh, that's great. But at any rate, uh, so I went to the meeting and uh, it was like all these people who read science fiction and like nobody but Lillian and I read science fiction in high school and she only read it because I gave it to her mm-hmm. and she gave me archaeology to read, you know, so it's right. kind of a nice <laughs> genetic transfer there. Um, and so like I, I turned her on to Lord of the Rings, she turned me on to the Golden Bow, that kind of thing. Oh, very nice. Um, so I went off to the scene and I discovered Phantom and I discovered... Uh, science fiction convention scene. Uh, they were running Marcon, which is still running in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. Um, How do you spell Marcon? M-A-R-C-O-N. It used to be Marcon. in March. Oh, because yeah. it's March. Yeah, it I no thought, longer is in March, but it's still called Marcon because I thought maybe the way it was things like happen a in fandom. Highland, uh, planet. No, no, no. Uh, no, no, but it's just MarchCon. Yeah, okay, so got it. Was, it was a local, you know, local convention at And the it's time. still going on. And it's still going on. And that was your first one? 50 years later. Yeah, it was in 1968, I guess. And somehow or other, I got my parents to take me to Baycon, which was the World Science Fiction Convention in 1968, which was, among other things, the first meeting of the Society for Creative Anachronism. Oh. Uh, there there <laughs> are many, many Baycon stories, yeah. Right. See, I got started there. Uh, and it was, you know, it was my first World Con. I didn't know how anything was supposed to be. It was right. pretty amazing. Uh, I met Paul Anderson. I met his wife. You know, was, oh, that's, see? You know, all these people became real that had just been names. Writers are, and I'm not sure that's a good thing that writers are so much out there these days. You know, when I was a kid, reading books just came out of the walls. You know, right, authors right. had nothing to do with it; they lived off in some other plane of existence. Right, did not is, impinge on mine. Yeah, this is interesting to meet you because you're just like, oh my god, I hope it's all going to work out for me because I, I haven't met that many authors. I mean, uh-huh. I know some people. I have friends who write, and mm-hmm. to people who write fiction, you create worlds and then you you immerse yourself. It'd be like to meet. You know, when you meet anybody, when you meet Paul Anderson or you meet Heinlein and you're like, oh, I hope, you know, don't say something racist. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then sort of like, you know, then you're thrown. 
Yeah, so I think there is something weird about about yeah. authors being out now. But on the other hand, you know, because of my profession for the so last neat. thirty years, I'm knee yeah. deep in writers, so I've become very blasé about them, and I kind of forget that that, that how, how amazing it would yeah. be to meet Orson yeah, or, Scott Card or worrisome. You know, oh my yeah. God, are they going to give us a test next period? You know? Right. So. It's just weird, kind of. You know, either either they're your reader and they're really excited to meet you, and it's yeah. like they've already met you, although you haven't met them. Right. Or. Uh, they're a reader of something else, and you can talk about something else. Right. Or they're a non-reader, and then you're kind of a float. What do? How do I talk to non-readers again? I used to remember. <laughs> what is <laughs> small talk again? Yeah. What do you like to do? Mm. I know it. I know the reading is 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 so many. So, but the so you go to like there's a lot of science fiction cons, and then there's mm. fantasy cons. Like right. this is a science fiction con. Well, it's, yeah, it's mixed. Uh, the genres have always been blended. Have uh, they? Yeah. Okay. They've never been. They've never been separated. They've always been. You know. Clear, clear on each end, but a fuzzy boundary in the middle. Okay, and it's, Fair. it's yeah. not, you know. And there, the thing about human beings is, whenever there's two of anything, they try to put it into a hierarchy of value and get on the top. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter to. if it makes no <laughs> sense. You know, red or green, which is better? Oh, we must all be, you know. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's like the Star Trek with the half black, black and yeah, the half white and the half white and the half black. Yeah. Can't stop people from doing this. But yeah, there's really, it's a blend. And I'm judging that uh, costume contest tomorrow night, mm-hmm. which will be good because I was just going to judge them silently. Uh, so uh, this will be this will be much nicer <clears> if I'm forced to judge them out loud. Yeah. You'll um, actually probably be having advisors that will help you out with. That. Oh, thank goodness. People uh, good. How do we do this, you'll ask, and the master costumer will take you aside and give you the lowdown. There'll about, be a master costumer? Well, possibly. possibly. You never know who's going to be a judge. That would judge. be kind of exciting. Yeah. I, I you met... won't be on your own, I don't think, Okay. convention this size. Find out. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I will. I will find out. Because you were saying that you, you've been asked to do it, and you've mm-hmm. done it many times. And, yeah, and, a few times. Yeah, yeah fair enough. And so I learned I could duck. And <laughs> I know. I, didn't, I was like, what do you need me to do? I'm doing it yeah, wrong. It'll be so, good. It will be fun. Being, um, when, so when... You started writing much later, you said, when you went to Marion. Yeah, well, kind of. I had had writing, it was in like two separate sections. There was a period in my teens, uh, up to my my early 20s, when I was trying to be a writer and really didn't know how. uh, Was it it fan-fiction-y stuff? Fan-fiction-y stuff, for the most part, yeah. Imitation, my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. At age 15, I embarked on a... uh, a Tolkien-esque epic in Spencerian verse because I had read <laughs> The Lord of the Rings and Spencer's The Fairy Queen both in that year. When I was Which 15. Tolkien approved of, uh, uh, by the way. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah, I think uh, he really, I'm kind of dipped. But, uh, but yeah. But, you know, yeah. it was 15 page and it was blarg, but, you know, but I was trying, the writer was trying to get out, but I had yeah. no, I had no story of my own to tell at that age. Okay. Um, and so then I got married, and I worked for 10 years at patient care in, uh, at Ohio State University Hospital, which okay. had all kinds of experience in life. And then I yeah. quit and had my kids and uh, found myself in uh, in Marion, Ohio, uh, with no job in the early 80s and two preschool children. Ah. Uh, and my friend Lillian, with whom I used to write uh, in back, in, back in high school, had started writing again. She'd had her two kids and was you know, okay. on the other side of that particular life barrier right uh and sort of just burst into prose and started sending stuff up out and she made some sales and i thought hey this is something i can do at home i can't afford to hire a babysitter but i can do it while i take naps or after they go to bed uh and so you know i flung into this uh and at that point all of a sudden i had more life experience more original you know more original stuff on which to draw in my early 30s than i had naturally when i was 15 
and a lot more reading behind me. Yeah, two questions. What's Lillian's last name? Lillian Stewart Carl, C A R L. And I will link her her published works. She has a notes. lovely website, and uh, all her books are up on Amazon. All her backlist as and ebooks. Be lovely. And okay. Elsewhere where ebooks are sold. And what was the first book that got published? Uh, the first book that I wrote and the first published was Shards of Honor. Oh, really? Yeah. That was. That was my first. That's novel. my favorite. It's hard. I have many favorite books of yours. Hi, welcome. <laughs> uh, welcome to my room in the convention. Uh, so, but the, uh, but yeah, but it's a, it's a lovely book. It's it's sort of it's got it's. I always say it's sort of like you know it's because it's Han Solo, you know, because they're out in space and there's an adventure and there's a planet and and then there's a love story and then there's uh, then there's political intrigue and then there's um, and there's tragedy and there's com and it's very funny and it's very you know I I do stand up comedy I am the biggest snob in the world uh, I yuck it up well done so but I'm that's neat that it was the first one you did yeah that you, I kind of I had no better idea how to novel than write a novel than this sort of put a bug on the main character and fling her out and you know I wrote like 60 80 pages without chapter breaks yeah I had okay. no sense of structure at the time right I had to kind of find my way to it but my friend Lillian was also writing so I sent her yeah uh copy you know carbon copies back in those uh, days yes. there were no word processors 80s. yes um Certainly not in my world, and uh, then not, with, not a single parent with two kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't single, but, oh, but there were, still, at yeah. that time, right? Got single later. That was oh. good. All right. Uh, whole another story, which mm -hmm. does not belong here, no. but uh, safe. Anyway, I sent it to Lillian, and she wrote back, and she sent. She said, "Go ahead and send it to uh, somebody that I met at a convention, Patricia Reedy, who is actually a fantasy writer who lives here in Minneapolis. Okay, Patricia C. Reedy, W. R. E. D. E. Okay, uh, she's written fantasy. She's written YA. Right. She mostly does YA now. Okay. She's got she's got twenty books behind her now. <laughs> oh yeah, but, yeah. But we were just reading each other. So she had just had her first novel published from mm -hmm. Ace, and uh, so it's like, let's get uh, you know." And we sort of fell into a round robin writer's workshop by mail. All the stuff you'd do by email today, yeah. we did by snail mail, and it took like two weeks to get a right. response. But then when you when you get it back, you'd be all on paper, or? and yeah, she would write these long. Pat would write these wonderful long analytical letters that you know, how we could make it better. Right, what she and liked Lillian and what she didn't like. And Lillian wanted to have her take, and uh, oh, that's it was. Uh, and of course, I had to write for their stuff as well because I was yeah. getting that back, and that forced me to think about. All these writing problems. Oh, right. Um, about so, the structure and all that. So it was. It worked all the way around. You know, doing the critique was as helpful to my growth as a writer as being critiqued. Hey, there's a break right here while I get up and turn off the air conditioning. It'll come on again in about 20 minutes. Hope you enjoy listening to me trying to smash cut around it. Thanks for tuning in, and now back to Lois McMaster Bujo. Yeah, I've had a lot of you know various kinds of writers groups over the years. You know, it's like from place to place looking for help. Oh. Right. And really, what is golden is somebody who's better than you are. That's what yeah. you need in a writers group. That makes so much sense because even and I am not uh, sporty, mm -hmm. but uh, I remember somebody telling me once in high school that if you played basketball with someone who was better than you, it, it improved your game. Mm -hmm. So sure. And exactly. I always tell that with people stand up, they they ask for advice, and I always say. 
say, try to hang out with people who are at least as funny as you are and that make you laugh. Yeah, and the funnier people who are better. Can. Yeah, because yeah. that's the ones who will teach you. Yeah, that's so great. And then, so it, you sent it off and it got published. And well, there were <laughs> not all it was a gravy boat just sitting three, in the uh, three books in three years before anything sold. Okay. Uh, so it was like I was writing away, not getting a dime, of course. Right. Uh, and this somewhat restricted situation but you know I wasn't going anywhere because I had little kids attached to my right, knees right. Um, so I wrote uh, Shards of Honor mm-hmm. and The Warrior's Apprentice and okay. Ethan the Bathos were my first three novels okay which, are, uh, which take place in the universe very yeah, far apart years in the, yeah they all take place in the same universe I was thinking at the time you know, not having broken in yet right. that uh that I, you know, I knew series sold, but I didn't want the books to all sync together, you know. Oh, right. Uh, you know, so they were kind of like optionally series related by being in the same universe, but not really otherwise right. closely connected. They all read as standalones, which turned out to be a very good model for the series as it grew later. Right, because you can just pick up one of the mm-hmm. books in that in that universe, and, yeah, yeah. and you get enough of it to go, I don't have to, but then you... Then when you go to another one, it doesn't matter. You're right, like, yeah. oh, those characters are vaguely familiar, and this world is familiar. Mm-hmm. Beta Colony is yeah, always... The two, the two most recommended starting points are Shards of Honor, the first novel that we were just talking about, right. which is beginning at the beginning, if you're very spoiler-sensitive or very insistent on oh, beginning right. in Shards yes. of Honor. And the other one that's a good jumping-in point is The Warrior's Apprentice. Which right. introduces Miles, has this very active young male protagonist and lots of And and lots of uh, lots action, of exciting yeah. action that mm-hmm. happens and he wanders around and he's and it's it's got you know, it's got one of my favorite things in science fiction, uh this is back to me gushing at you. So uh one of my favorite things in science fiction is I'm kind of sick of the dystopian future. You know, I mean I yes. like Star Trek mm-hmm. because it looks like we finally got our shit together. Yeah. And we're, we're sort of on the right track or something. Yeah, it's like we're doing something I right. Do not, I do not understand the current uh, craze for dystopias or zombies, for that matter. <laughs> the nearest yeah. I can figure for zombies is that they're, they're the metaphor for our fellow voters and they represent <laughs> our political unease. But you know, other than that, I don't see the point of zombies you know, right. or any of these dystopic stories. I grew up with well, I grew up with all the uh, the World War Three stories, you know, the post yeah. Holocaust, you know, nuclear, everything, level seven, and and all those uh, on the beach, right? By Neville shoot, okay, and and so all that has been a thread, you know, it's been the the diary warning story has been a part of science fiction you know all the way along right uh, but it has become rather it's a little rather pervasive out. at the moment yeah and if it's done and well it's not I don't new. have a problem yeah it isn't new folks right you know what I, I forget that you know I mean Nostradamus has been predicting the end of the world you know but well, there's so, money in it you know yeah <laughs> which you know, if they really believe that's the end of the world why are they worried about making money yeah hmm. there shouldn't be any <laughs> just wrap it up you don't need the second job is what I always say to my brother Terry who believes in it anyway but uh, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, if it's over, don't worry about it. So the the so, I mean, if it's done well, mm-hmm. that's the point. Yeah. Uh, if it's done well, I I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. But but it's not. So it's just lovely to read something that has the same problems but mm-hmm. the same solutions, and it yeah, has some kind of solution, yeah. some solution. And then and the heroes are heroic, and the bad guys are villainous, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's. And it's not it's that great. it's necessarily a black and white universe, but right. there's a route through it. Yeah. yeah, and but a lot of those dystopian futures are super black and white. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you read The Hunger Games, and uh, it was 
the first one I I, I liked it. I mean, I'm I'll read. I, I will watch a test pattern if the mm-hmm. colors change off. <laughs> I'm pretty. I need to be entertained, and so I've got that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's there's just stuff that's better done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the Hunger Games was interesting, but I was just there's a lot of like Dragon Tattoo. I've talked about it before on the show where it's just I want. I want us. To, I, I know there's seven billion people on the planet, but I genuinely believe that only two percent are broken, and two percent of seven billion is a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you shouldn't live somewhat defensively, mm-hmm. but try not to live in terror, yeah. you know, and not leave your house and yeah, you know, you know this is kind of uh, like that. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot. You know, I, I reduce my money that I give to pharmaceutical companies by not listening to the news. <laughs> yes. Like it's yes, my I, defense. You know, that's stop an excellent it at the source. One. But yeah, so that's that's a kind of a problem. I've, uh, I've told this story many times before, but back in the early 90s, uh, mm-hmm. caught an uh, article, an interview in the Columbus Dispatch with a, uh, a forensic pathologist who made the remark in passing and in discussing with the, with the reporter that he had never gone into a bad crime scene in any house where there were a lot of books. These were all like book-free zones that had these terrible meltdowns. Yeah. Uh, So it's like bookless, bookless people, you know, ended up committing Mm -hmm. these these crimes. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, yeah, because if you have books, you have another place to go. You have a timeout zone. Yeah. You have a place. You have a way to alter your emotions. Yeah. Fiction as a mood-altering drug, self-administered. It's an excellent mood-altering drug. It gets no. It gets no uh, credit from the critics uh, because you know it isn't something that heightens their. Right, and their biosocial status, but I think it's a function of fiction. I think it's a valid one. I think that sounds that sounds great. I mean, I think I know that people call television the opiate of the masses, and I, mm. I have a lot of friends who watch a lot of television, and I like television uh, uh-huh. much like I like most stories. There is something different about how calming a book is, mm-hmm. you know, and a, and I have a Kindle uh, app on my, uh-huh. on my thing, but uh, a book book is also lovely, you know, mm-hmm. like I have. Quite honestly, I have your books on Kindle. I have them on audio, mm-hmm. and I have them in paperback. And uh, so, <laughs> pretty much yay, covered the waterfront there. Exactly. But yes. I bought a used one, which is uh, I was told by Cage Baker that doesn't do me any good. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I bought a used one that I was hoping you'd sign. Oh, ah, sure. And there you go. And but yeah, so I mean, but I like to hold a book. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the best part. I think it's soothing. It's also something that well, not only you can you have to do alone. It's an individual. It's solitary thing. Television has the ability to be social. You can watch it as a group, so mm-hmm. you're still part of your group. You're never actually alone in your own space, in your own mind, which yeah. is something I think that books give you. You can watch television by yourself too, but you yeah. know. right. But def- but definitely yeah. is. Uh, I was just talking because we were down in the dealer room, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of books. And they uh, one of the one of the authors is yeah. this guy, yes, <laughs> uh, Joe Hill, uh-huh. who is Stephen King's son, uh-huh. and he writes a comic book called Lock and Key that I read, uh-huh. and I don't like scary books because they scare me. Congratulations, <laughs> those who write them. Uh, but the, uh, but the, I so I can't read his prose mm-hmm. because when there's pictures in the Lock and Key comic book, I'm like, oh, that's the grisly thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Fine. If I'm reading the grisly thing, my mind is even worse. Uh-huh. So I, that's what I mean. I think that I just make it even more terrifying, mm-hmm. and then I can't sleep. Yeah, yeah I so. Uh, some people like that vibe, and I don't understand it. Horror is not one of my reading genres. It's, it's something that they get from it that isn't what I'm getting from it. Right, because they they genuinely enjoy it. They're like, oh, I get scared, and then. 
and I was like, well, does it make you want to affect change at a grassroots level? I mean, what does it make you want to do? I'm uncertain. Lock the doors and hide under your bed. Or get out there. One of my favorite lines um, from the the Cordelia's Honor, the trilogy, which Uh is Shards of Honor, and then the following two, Barry R., and Barry are, yeah. Barry are, and the, and the Warrior's th- Apprentice would be third if, you, if it were three. And okay. Really, it's two. Uh, the two books about Cordelia are Shards of Honor and Barry are. Okay, yeah. there we go. And so it, I think it's in Barry are where um, she is talking with uh, the, her husband, the, the regent, and his father, the count. Uh, count? Correct. Count. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did I get the correct? And so uh, but the, uh, uh, the, the conversation about... What do you mean they don't have the internet? <laughs> and we, the, the right to education, the right to information is is in the Constitution of Beta Colony. Yeah, Cordelia's and home planet. Cordelia's home planet. And I, ever since I read that, I'm like, the internet should be free, and it should be it should be a right mm-hmm. because because the thing is, is the libraries are closing, and there's not enough, you know, and the so internet would be something. Free, well, you know, free is paid for by somebody else. That's right. what free means in this context. Well, yes, in this context, it would have to be. Like in Beta Colony, it yeah. would be, it would yeah, be paid it's for. It's taxpayer-supported because it is recognized as a fundamental social value that benefits everybody. Yeah. Right, so information. Everybody pays, everybody benefits, like right. libraries. Like libraries, yeah. like plumbing, yeah. like who doesn't love roads? Yeah. Uh, but that... Yeah. It's, the technology creates more and more of these... Shared public venues, it, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a real sense. Things of, happens. Yeah. I think it gives people a real chance to raise themselves up by their bootstraps yeah. or whatever. But you there's want to an call interesting, it. interesting distinction to be made between uh, two kinds of goods. You've got material goods, which are limited. You know, if I eat a sandwich, it's not available to you. Right. And then there's information, which can be replicated and shared indefinitely. If I read a book, I don't read it up. You can still read it and yep. have it. Yeah. So it's a kind of wealth that can be shared. Everywhere, without diminishing anyone. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's it does not it does not operate by Malthusian rules. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. But it's mixed in. It is mixed in with a lot of things that do operate by Malthusian rules. Right. You know, including human beings who need to be fed, who need you know, sure who all have this needs. stuff. So uh, so it's you know it's a tricky dance, but it's it's not the same kind of wealth as yeah. uh, jewelry or, or yeah. automobiles, goods and. You and the new the new book that you have out mm-hmm. are they're in the same universe as Miles Vorkosigan, the, mm-hmm. the young man, the protagonist, and Cordelia, and and all of these planets in that same universe. But they're it's a story from oh it's it's the cousin yeah it's cousin yeah the new book coming out in November of 2012 right is titled Captain Vorpatrol's Alliance yes and it uh, it is part of a series part of this long running Vorkosigan series we call it the Vorkosigan Saga I never named that series myself but it's right. the name Vorkosigan Saga seems to have stuck to it yeah yeah and so it follows out you know he's been an ongoing sidekick and he finally gets his own book and we give him a hard time and it's fairly hilarious right so it's a lot of it, it, yeah, he so that's the next thing coming up for me in in the publishing pipeline. And is it in is it on the same timeline? Like, uh, is it after the Cryoburn? No, it actually is a prequel to Cryoburn. One okay. of the things that makes it possible for me to recognize the Vorkosigan reading order argument on the internet, no matter what language it is written in, yes, um, 
is this this ongoing thing about well, should, should you read it in chronological order or publication order because they're not the same. And right. So I usually recommend you know internal chronology. Oh, that. So uh, so by internal chronology, it follows after diplomatic immunity and before Crabbe. Okay. So all right. So that'll be fun. And I should also mention there are two other series that I have: fantasy series, yes. Curse of Chalian and The Sharing Knife, which is actually one story cut into four volumes. Right. And they're we haven't gotten to them yet, but they're out there too. They're right, right. Available. The sharing knife is, is, and they're and they're more fantasy, and they yes, are, they are fantasy. They are fantasy, and uh, they are excellent. It turns out uh, Jackie Cation also enjoys those. Uh, I've read them all. So, uh, <laughs> but the, yeah. So, what do you like to? Uh, do you still do a fair bit of reading? Are you doing some rereading? What, do you I ever do, reread? I do because I think I have a problem at the moment in that the world has become so overwhelmingly. Filled with information wealth. Yeah. You know, I feel as if I've walked into a grocery store and been told I have to eat all the food on the shelves. Right. You know, this is so different from the sort of information scarce world in which I grew up in, in which you had to like grab it because you know, right. that there was all there was. Yeah. You know. uh, so it's been hard to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Because there's more than I can read in the rest of my life. You know, I yeah. can't do it all. Right. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of at the age of 62, abandoning the notion of self-improvement. You know, it's all downhill <laughs> from here. It's not going to get any better. Seems I'm just well. going to read dessert from now on. <laughs> it's like all desserts. Uh, I appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. Yeah. I say Self-improvement uh, is over. We're done with that exactly. phase of life. Uh, but uh, yeah. nevertheless, you know, sort mm-hmm. of had had all this stuff becoming available to me. Netflix opened up uh, Japanese animation. Oh, anime, right. Which is like, I'd known about it because I'd seen it in science fiction conventions back oh, right. in the 80s when it consisted of, you know, of tapes with a fan who spoke Japanese up doing the dubbing, you know, live. Yes. <laughs> trying really? Yeah, you know, as it was being played to the room oh, because they didn't have you yeah, know, yeah. subtitles. Uh, and then it you know, started to leak in a little bit uh, th- through tapes. You, know, you find one or two things in Blockbuster. Okay. But then Netflix came, and they had hundreds of titles, you know, of complete series, you know, oh, not right. just from volume Japan. three, yeah, from Japan. And so, uh, so that was fun. Has been fun to explore as a kind of have you uh, thing is, out of my normal range. Is there a series you can think of that you uh, w- watch that oh gosh, people might want to? They might enjoy bunches of them. There's one called uh, Otogi Zoshi, which was very interesting. It had Half the story set to, set in high-end Japan, which is ninth century Japan, and half of it set in modern Tokyo, and the two halves mirrored each other. Oh, okay. In incarnation. That was quite fascinating. Oh, that sounds they, amazing. Japanese go for a lot of closed-end series. You know, it's not. It is a serial. It isn't, you know, interchangeable uh, oh. episodes. Okay. So you have a storyline oh, that you follow line. from the beginning, and they end them. They are willing oh, to end them. God bless them. Yeah, God bless them so, for ending yeah. them. Now, how do you spell it? Uh, Otogi Zoshi, O-T-O-G-I, second word Z-O-S-H-A-I. Fair enough. I will link it. Uh, Because I've uh, always... Yeah, and there's like bunches of others. Let's see what... uh, Mushishi, that's another one. It's about uh, medicine seller in Japan. And uh, I like the ones that have Japanese uh, settings. Yeah. Because that gives me that extra kind of alien world, you know, alien to me world, sure. uh, which is part of why I like science fiction. Yeah. And then every once in a while they get onto like European settings and you can see that the Japanese artists and writers don't quite understand how Europe works. <laughs> and it's fascinating. I mean, you know, we do that to them too, I bet. I wonder what the inverse of that is. Yeah, the inverse is, uh, well... Westerners not really understanding what's going on. That's why we're still separate a little. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, this, this stuff is flowing back and forth. Yeah, it's becoming part of the culture. We said manga in Barnes and 
Right, right. So, totally, there's and it's, so it's there. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. Uh, and this is all made possible by you know, modern communications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix yeah. is going to streaming now, which I'm going to have to learn how to do. Yeah. Oh, not another technology. No. I know it. And they always say it's. In, they always say it's intuitive. They're like, oh, it's super easy. It's really intuitive. And I was like, it's only intuitive when I learned how to do it. <laughs> then it's yes. Now I know exactly. Like, like I can for the for many years I couldn't find the on button on a Mac because uh-huh. they would always put it somewhere weird. Yeah. And I was like, you guys, there's upgrades. No I hate upgrades. Like, I could find everything. Now you've hidden it all. What right. is this? An Easter egg hunt? No, <laughs> I don't play those games. Like I think I'm reading Lord Dunsbury, uh, the 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 very first Dunsany. That's it, Lord Dunsany. Lord Dunsany is wonderful, by the way. I yes. recommend him. It's really good, except for I can't finish it. Uh, it's huh. it's uh, it's intense, and I'm in, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's a slow go because I, I keep yeah, reading off. That 19th century prose. Yes, 19th century prose is more of an oral style. It's as if the writer is speaking to you. Okay, and you have to kind of slow your brain down. It's one of the interesting that things that has happened to fiction in the 20th century has become more and more visual. Is mm-hmm. it sort of is inspired by movies? Okay. So as you get jump cuts, you get all kinds of techniques that are kind of fed back from movies into fiction. Okay. Then, uh, you can expect the readers to be conversant with and follow, but I think if you if you handed some of these books to a 19th century reader, they would be very confused because they'd be looking for a narrator, and there would not you know, right. be one. Right. There's not enough narrative. There's mm-hmm. more imagery. That's interesting. Yeah, okay, well, you know what? I will take that into account when I try to read it this, uh, yeah, this afternoon. Yeah, he's telling you the story, and it's, it's very good. It's really good. The King good. of Elfland's Daughter is good. Uh, I really like the Rodriguez stories, uh, the ones set in kind of kind of Spain. Uh, those are is quite that, fine is that for him? Dunsany. Oh, for Dunsany? Yeah. All right, well, I'm back. I'm back into, into trying it. But it felt like it was good for me, mm-hmm. and that's why I was trying to read it. Yeah, it's a different robot, and I like his... The writer has an underlying kindness to his worldview. You know, yeah. He's not cruel to the yeah. characters or the readers, or you know, he's not angry. Right, it's a gentler kind of yeah. fiction where it's not snarky at all, yeah. which well, is kind of occasionally nice. a little snarky, but, <laughs> right? But I mean, but not cruel. Yeah, not cruel, and and so. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some judgment going mm-hmm. on. But, I mean, it's not... Did you ever read a children's book called Amazons and Swallows? Yes, just recently, as a matter of fact. Oh, there you uh, go. Arthur Ransom. Arthur Ransom, that's his name. Because yeah. I read it because uh, a friend of mine grew up with it. Uh-huh. And he was like, this is one of the sweetest, most beautiful children's books. Mm-hmm. And it's a very sweet story. Very little happens. Yeah. Uh, but everything happens because there are But 11. if you were if you were 11, they would have been amazing. It yeah. was the... Yeah, and they it got was, to sail boats by themselves. Oh, I know it. They got to camp by themselves. They had to check in with their parents each day, but... Yeah, you know, it was kind of like... Mom. This is more like the world I grew up in. The world today, kids are so immobilized and restricted. We used to go out and be gone for hours and hours and have no supervision, and somehow we survived. And It turns out we survived. And, yeah, yeah, and nothing horrible happened. Yeah. And it was, and it was, it was sometimes boring, was but uh, my parents were like, yeah, see, it's summer. Go outside. Yeah. And, uh, Aren't one letting of, you back in. Right, one of my neighbors, his dad would, uh, uh, they even lock the door. Mm-hmm. And they had six kids. Mm, we had six kids. Yeah, he was like, and uh, it was like a Saturday. And it was summer and a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And his dad would be like, no, I am going to work in the garage uh, on the car. You guys are going to play outside. 
And uh, if you need to go to the bathroom, there's a shell station. Three <laughs> and they made them run to the shell station to go to the bathroom. And they could come back for lunch. And they could uh-huh. come back for dinner. Uh-huh. And that was it. And then they could come home. You know, they could mm-hmm. come home. But, you know, every we weekend. We had a whole world out there that yeah. was, you know, not supervised by the adults. Right, right. It was like, go play in the alley. Go play they in the woods. Go play freaked, in the... But, uh, yeah, yeah. Some of the things yeah. I got up to. Yeah, I had a more interesting, because I had the 100 acre woods behind my house. Did you? Yeah. You know, we had this other, I have no idea who actually owned it, but it seemed all mine you know, right. when I was a, a kid. And there was a horse farm up the road. And, and you could visit. To do. Yeah. yeah. There was, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's all, they're all boxed in. And they're never alone. Yeah. They're, I, I was just like, wait, isn't he 16? Why do I have to stay with him while you do an errand? Mm-hmm. He's a man. <laughs> and, uh, isn't he a man? Am I missing something? Yeah, yeah. My, this is not the world I grew up. I mean, my brother right. had his glider's pilot's license at age 14. This is what kids do. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so he could, wait, is that where he would fly a glider? Fly, yeah. Solo. Oh, my gosh. Turn him loose in a glider. He had to wait two more years for his driver's license, but he could get his pilot's <laughs> license, 14. and he did. And yeah. How do you do you glide by being dragged behind a plane and then let go? Well, yes. Uh, you you know, get dragged up and then you know, yeah. release the tow rope and then you're on your own. And you go down at a ratio of you know, whatever the glide ratio of the glider is. Uh, good okay. ones have like 40 to 1 glide ratio. So for so every, every foot you drop, you go 40 feet forward. And then you find rising columns of air and ride them up so that you're going down, but the air is coming up quicker. These are <clears> called thermals. Yes. And you can find them, you know, or parking lots or any place else where, where there is rising air. Oh, and sure. So they can stay in the air for hours, you know, by going from thermal to thermal. Or if there is a prevailing wind over a hill or a range of hills, like sure. the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. Okay. Uh, you can ride that wind and stay up um, because once for again hours. you're going up for hours. Yeah. Do you the, have to uh, hold on, or is it, are you seated? You're seated. I mean, you're oh. in a little. Well, there it's are like all kinds of designs. Cockpit. We're not looking. We're not talking about uh, paragliding or hang gliding. We're talking about these little planes with no engines. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Like planes. And so yeah, the uh, the uh, for a, for a few glorious weeks he had the world distance record of like twelve hundred miles. Wow. Yeah, and then somebody else came right, <laughs> before sure, he can't even get registered. Yeah, yeah. and and he so, was fourteen, and, and yeah, not at age fourteen. He's continued that through his life. Oh, but, through his uh, whole life. Yeah. Did, did you ever dad? I wonder. Did you ever uh, try gliding? Ah, uh, yeah, I've been up with him a few times. Oh, okay. It's not for me because I get motion sick. It turns out. So oh, it turns around out. and around in the thermals is like eh, not good for me. Yeah, turn so I was interested in horses. My other brother was interested in trains, so we each had our method of transportation. <laughs> That we each focused on obsessively. Did you ride much? Uh, yeah, I had a pony when I was a girl, speaking oh. of golden childhoods, which I did not realize was you know, privileged at the time. But pretty sweet when yeah, you think back it was, on it. It was and good. It was good. Yeah. A pony. And I outgrew it, and then that was the end of you know, right. horses were more expensive. It was like not in the budget. But what about dressage? Is it dressage? Is uh, dressage? Yeah, that's, uh, I did not get into that. It was, it was more like a Thelwell cartoon. What's if a Thelwell cartoon? A uh, Thelwell cartoon is a British cartoonist who does these amazingly funny uh, cartoons about the horsey set in Britain and okay. the pony set, you know, oh, okay. the pony club, the, you know, the Shetland ponies look like. Uh, <laughs> very, 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 very and, yeah. Fair enough. Fair and enough. They're, they're very funny. So I was, I was like one of the Thelwell kids. Yeah. Oh, well done. It's, I know we didn't, um, my parents hated animals. Ah. So, uh, they, we, 
I would walk all the neighbor dogs. So okay. I ended up, I had three dogs essentially when I was a kid, as far as I was concerned. Neighbors psyched. They didn't have to walk their dogs. And it was pre, uh, people charging to walk dogs. Uh-huh. You had to walk your own dog. I was, I was allowed, it's only a three mile square town. Mm-hmm. And so I could go to the lake by myself and I could go out to where the one horse was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the edge of town. Sure. It was all farmland. Yeah. So have you, so all your survival stuff, of the fittest. And here we are. And, and look, we lived. It's uh, just let your kids go. And uh, but the thing is, is I think the poor to some extent still do. Mm-hmm. Like it's the middle class who are constantly looking yeah, at their kids. Has, and, yeah, if you're poor, who has time? No, but everybody's so, working. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have time to. You're like, I hope it all works out for you. I raised myself. It'll be fine, right? <laughs> and uh, and here's a yeah. book. <laughs> and yeah, here's a book is actually good. Yeah. Here's a book is really good. I mean. Everybody read in my mm-hmm. in my family, so I think that that's that's something. And then when my when when my brother started having kids, I would read whatever they were reading uh-huh. because I didn't want to talk to them about My Little Pony or whatever yeah. they were watching because I didn't want to watch it. But I was willing <laughs> to read crap. I'm like I will read what and Dragonlance series. Uh-huh. Remember the Dragonlance series? Yeah. The first nine, that was all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following. Five, uh, I had to stop at 14 is what I'm saying. And my nephew Paul, I was like, you're on your own, kid, uh, from here on out. And the next one was, I think, the Star Wars books was my nephew Sam. Uh-huh. And then uh, and then my niece read The Red Wall uh-huh. with the anthropomorphized rats. Right, yeah. Jack uh, Middleton. Oh, I don't know his name. Brian Jacks. Brian oh, that's Jacks. it. Here we go. It turns out you're an author. And, uh, you got some names in your brain. I spent a lot of time looking at bookshelves. <laughs> it's. Do you read? Uh, do you read any young adult stuff, or did you? Occasionally, like, yeah, I have your... no. I have no prejudices in that regard. And yeah. Some of my best friends write YA, <laughs> so yeah. I read it in manuscript. Oh, do you? And oh, that's right. Because you're, you're probably still in writing groups. And stuff. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. I read, uh, read Pat Reedy's stuff. And oh, okay. Reads mine and so, so, so you're friends from the beginning. You're mm-hmm. still friends with them, and oh, you yeah. still exchange. And oh, yeah. There's the three of us are still friends. Okay. After all these years, somehow. Yeah, that's so great, though, because it it must be, like, at a certain point, you're like, well, I'd love to start a new writing group. But you can't make new old friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a certain, there's a certain cadre of people that will, like, always be there because the there's things you can't replace because they go back. Lillian and I figured out we'd known each other for 50 years because wow. we met in seventh grade when we were 12 Yeah, this year. And so, yeah. Do you believe it? No, I don't believe it. <laughs> Do you believe it? No. <laughs> That's just impossible. Yeah, it's almost impossible to, to recreate that kind of thing. So now, and you also do a lot of book fairs, so people can come okay, and yeah. get your books in Minneapolis over at Hugo's, Uncle Hugo's. Yeah, Uncle Hugo's a, carries them all. They carry a lot of books that are already signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my friend, my uh, sister-in-law Samantha, uh, Sam, uh, turned me on to uh, your books, mm-hmm. and I said, I and I said, well, should I bring something and have Lois sign it? And, and she said. I actually own many things that she signed because I buy them at Hugo's, mm-hmm. and uh, and so because Uncle Hugo's is the um, science fiction, and then Edgar, Uncle Edgar, yeah, Uncle Edgar. they're both both stores are in the same site. One's science fiction, one's mystery. They're great. They're just everything a bookstore should be. They're full of books. They're really full yeah. of books, and they're full <laughs> they're of crammed with books. Come buy some, right? And the guys who work there are hilarious because if you can get them, if you can put a nickel in them, and they're not always available mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to have a nickel put in. But they will they will hook you up with with some reading material mm-hmm. uh, in a heartbeat. They are good, and they uh, they just know they know their works. You know, there's a used bookstore in Los Angeles that I will plug called the Iliad, 
which is in the valley, and it used to be next to a video store, which is now closed because there are no such things anymore, mm-hmm. called the Odyssey. <laughs> and I wanted to open up a Greek Italian restaurant called uh, the Aeneid <laughs> next to it, <laughs> but it didn't happen. The Iliad, uh, but the Iliad is amazing. Too late. But those guys at Hugo and, and Edgar's mm-hmm. remind me of the Iliad guys, because yeah. they can be grumpy, but they can also they know more than anybody. Hugo's boasts they ship to all seven continents because they have sent books to Antarctica. Oh, have they? Yeah. Excellent. It's uh, Yeah, I love... Um, yeah, Minneapolis is amazing. Oh, and I can boast that my books have been read on all seven continents and the International Space Station. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's on, who? on the reading list for, for the astronauts. Yeah. Yes. Wait, you were saying that your new book is available for pre-order on... Oh, yes. Uh, there is a... Uh, if you cannot wait till November to find out how Ivan's adventures go, yes, uh, Bain Books has uh, eARC uh, for sale off their website, 15 bucks for... You can get a file download of... Uh, of the basically it's the galleys you know before the typos have been corrected oh okay which is very handy for me because my fans are sending me all these lists of typos that I will now not have to either find or miss when the actual galleys come to me in a few weeks oh good so it's terrific it's like distributed proofreading and it's uh, loismcmasterboujol.com yeah uh, no it's uh, Bain Books the publisher oh Uh, www.b-a-e-n b-a-e-n well I never know how that was pronounced yeah Bain Bain turns out Jim Bain Oh, his name. The guy who uh, well, founded the, it. Founded the publisher. Passed away a couple years ago. Oh, but, uh, the company lives on. The lives on. And, uh, but your website is loismcmasterbujol.com, right? No. Uh, nope. I actually don't have a website. You don't have a website? Yeah. I don't know what, it uh, what happened? Yeah. What happened? So, um, so uh, I've, got, I've got a fan-run website. Okay. Which is www.dendari.com. D-E-N-D-A-R-I-I.com. Which is named after the named after the mercenary you know, people, and that's right. it's been put together. It was put together by a British fan, and other fans have helped, and it's amazing. And I never had to lift a finger, and I just let it go on and be, you know, and it's, be my thing. And it looks really good, and I and it's so comprehensive it's that full I thought of information. it was yours. Yeah. So, so uh, I should set up one and like let them off the hook. Uh, one of these days. Or I have a uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a web or I have a uh, blog on MySpace.com that oh, my do you? Uh, publisher Harper Collins set up for me years ago. Okay. And they had some minion down in the ball say, "Here, have a website. Go blog." Uh, right, right. Oh, okay. And what it's on MySpace. It's on MySpace. I mean, what are you doing on MySpace? That's where I am. But there you are. So it's MySpace.com/slash uh, Lois McNest. Oddly enough, yeah, and I then, think yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what I'll do is search. I'll link to that. That'll yeah, be fun. That'll be good. And, and let's see. There's something else. Oh yeah. Mirror, there's a mirror site on Facebook that is fan run that mirrors okay. my blog so that that information oh. goes out on Facebook as well. So that might be easier for people that are already on Facebook. Or you can just Google old you know, and everywhere. it'll come up as well. Yeah. And then what about uh, the Twitter? Are you, are you, I do not twit. Uh, you do not twit at 140 <laughs> characters? I'm having coffee. <laughs> no. I'm thinking of tying my shoe. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little, you know. It's the blow by I, blow? I, I'm not sure you get a haiku across in 140 characters. <laughs> I'm a novelist, darn it. I want right, right. space to like, develop my ideas and <laughs> illustrate and, and all that stuff. That is awesome. So but, but, uh, what yeah. about your calendar? Uh, my calendar, my upcoming activities. Yeah, yeah. as a writer, they keep coming. I, my year was so clear, and then it filled in, and I got six out of town trips, three of which are behind me. Uh, I just okay. did. I did a convention in Huntsville, Alabama, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and I did uh, the American Library Association a couple weeks ago in in California, in oh. Anaheim. Anaheim. So we like almost crossed paths there. Sure. It's fabulous. Twenty-two thousand librarians is a lot of librarians. Oh, uh, that actually sounds awesome. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. pretty cool. So we had. 
had a program and it was good. Packed room. Uh, so that's behind me though. That's for sure. And then there's this weekend. Uh, next month. Because you're doing the Dork Forest this. And yeah. then you're also doing the podcast with the nice British couple I just met. Yes, yeah. Uh, what is Paul the name Pardon. of their show? Uh, I got it written down in my purse. Okay, well, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Paul Cornell. Cornell. And, and uh, he writes for, among other things, he's written television scripts for Doctor Who, and uh, other th- which is probably why he's here. And, right. Uh, he's, uh, he's just got a novel coming out. Okay. And, uh, and he does all kinds of stuff. And I'll and I'll find his yeah, podcast find and his link stuff. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll link it. Uh, let's see. This a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to Finland for FinCon, uh, which is their national science fiction convention. FinCon. Going to be the guest. Best name ever. They have science fiction in Finland. Yes. Uh, they have science fiction in Croatia. I went to a Croatian convention several years ago. They've only got four million people in the country, <laughs> but they have a science fiction convention. It'd be like sending out to Wisconsin. Kind of, yeah. Uh, so FinCon, uh, but FinCon, how was yeah. Finland? Is it beautiful? I, I will find out. Oh, that's right. You've yeah, never been to Finland. Well, I leave on the 16th. It's the following weekend, the 22nd round of July. Oh, near in the end Tempere, of July. Tempere, Tempere. Okay. So, so I know nothing about Finland, but I will know a lot more at the end of July. And you said you were going to D.C.? Yeah. Uh, I've been invited to speak at the National Book Festival on the Mall in Washington, D.C. on the Sunday of whatever weekend that is. It's around right. towards the end of September. Okay. And uh, so I will be there along with a gazillion other writers and uh, tents full of people listening to us. Excellent. Uh, I got to go about 10 years ago. I think it was, I think it was 2002. Okay. Uh, to the first or second uh, of their book fair. So it's like it'll be a familiar venue. It's good. You stand up, you talk kind of like this for an hour. I'll probably right. do question and answer. Oh, good. And maybe a little reading. And uh, and that'll be fine. And then I will have a book tour proper when Captain Vorpatro's Alliance comes out in November. And I think they're going to send me to the northeast this time. Okay. Uh, they've sent me down the west coast a bunch of times. So we're going to have a change of pace. It might but go that's, to Seattle yeah. and Portland and all that. Yeah, I've been through there many, many times. So this will be... Uh, they're readers. Uh, it rains a lot. Connecticut, New York. Uh, oh, that east, area. East, east. side. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So this time it will be different. Okay. Uh, but that's not... You know, the book story are not finalized, but it'll be up on my blog. You know, right, right, because you'll update your blog yeah. and say, this is where I'm going to be. In. This is the schedule, folks. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Come on out. This has been fantastic. Uh, you're great, and uh, and thank you so much for being on The Door Forest. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, my God. So that was Lois McMaster Bujold, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. I was chatty as all heck on that one. That's an exciting time when I get to meet essentially someone I've read all of their works. And I was slightly excitable. But Lois McMaster Bujold, super nice woman. I recommend any of the the, the Miles Vorkosigan books. Or if you if possibly if you like the fantasy stuff, The Curse of the Chalion was great. And and the other one was The Sharing Knife, and they're both done. They're both series that are done, so that's always great. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Feel free to review this or any of the episodes or just The Dork Forest in general on iTunes. And thanks so much for the comments and everything on Twitter and Facebook. And the emails, Jackie at JackieCation.com. Feel free to email. Take care out there. Good night. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> My hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance, then it sounds like a Mexican hat dance. It's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?